Hello, Steve Shanley. Remind me, what do you do again? I'm a leadership trainer. I'm a former band director. How about you? What uh, What do you do? I teach at Coe College in Cedar Rapids. I coordinate the music education program. It combines all the things that I enjoy doing and uh, was a good extension of my band directing career because I got kind of uh, bored just doing band. So this allows me to do all things music education. Watching you move into that role and then see you take it further, been cool to watch. And me, I also see leadership training and team development as an extension of what I did as a band director. I noticed toward the end of my 19-year career that I enjoyed the the group dynamic uh, and nurturing that as much as or maybe even more than getting the music all put together. So took that full time. This is our final episode of the summer, and we've got season three coming up. There are going to be some cool things in season three, but also some differences. For example, at the beginning of each episode, you and I are very quickly going to do a better job of introducing ourselves. But this is the longest that's ever going to take, right? Oh, absolutely. We realize that in our attempt to like stay out of the way of our guests, we've had listeners comment that um, who are you? <laughs> we don't really <laughs> yeah, we don't really establish any credibility at the beginning of the episode because we kind of rushed through ourselves. So. Um, we've been chastised by people who know us well that we should do a better job of that. So super uncomfortable with it, aren't you? Yeah, that's why I decided I would lean into it by spending a good three minutes uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talking about this. So if anyone is still listening at this point, I'm very impressed. <laughs> okay. Is there a guest you're more excited about than Philip Ewell as we look at the next season? There isn't. No, I, I'm very excited to share his wisdom with our listeners. That was a really, really cool interview. Philip Ewell, for those of you who don't know, uh, made a uh, appearance, I think kind of blew up Twitter and even sort of blew up the New York Times by giving a speech about uh, Heinrich Schenker, the theorist, being racist. And there was a response to that from the Journal of Schenkerian Studies that yes, that is a journal. I was not aware of that. And a scathing response to Dr. Ewell's thoughts. And uh, that didn't go well for those people. And it went very well for Philip Ewell. Now he has a uh, much more widely known uh, viewpoint, credibility, and so widely known and so published and held in such high esteem that I thought for sure when I emailed him to ask him to come on the program, uh, he just wouldn't even have time to respond. And he responded immediately and was delighted to join us. And it was uh, an interesting interview. I have not edited it yet, but there's no way it's going to be under 30 minutes. Uh, at least I don't think. No, no, I think we'd be cheating folks out of some stuff if we if we went too short with that one. And that's not to say we don't have other amazing guests. I mean, that just I just think that points out like that that one's going to be really special. Lily Firehavend, also one that was super fun to visit with. It was another another giant in the music education community, and that was one that our elementary listeners kind of kept asking like, hey, this is someone we would love to hear from. And uh, probably the most accomplished in her particular field of any guest we've had. Yeah. Yep. That, that's true. Yeah. I think if you're measuring that, yeah, definitely she would be. Even thinking about some of the stuff that we have for general music teachers, I think our, our conversation with Mary Cohen on musicing was really special too. And oh, Will Talley, Chandler Wilson, uh, Aaron Holmes. We, we've got a lot. We've got a lot coming up, everybody. It's going to be a great fall for this podcast. It really is. But we owe our listeners one more summer episode, 
And I think, with your permission, we're going to continue our discussion on what defines a good music teacher. How do I know if I'm doing a good job or not? And I think I'd like to talk about assessment today, if that's okay with you. Well, isn't that what we usually use to decide how well something's going, is to assess it? Well, you would think, uh, but the reason I like to talk about assessment is because I managed to direct bands for about 10 years and didn't really understand that assessment and grading were not the same thing. And I kind of lumped all of it together. And basically, if my band sounded okay and you were not a pain in the neck, Alan Fire, second chair, you know, second row of the band, you got an A. That was, yeah. it was pre pretty much that simple for me. I, I thought, so my assessment was limited to how good or bad does the band sound? And I was not really assessing how much learning was happening. I, I would say on an individual basis, but also I wasn't even assessing how much learning was going on with the band as a whole. It was just how it sounded. I think that I'm not alone in mimicking my own high school band director's grading system when I started teaching. And I probably used a variation on Mr. Hale from Winnicott, Wisconsin, Mr. Hale's point cards until the last day of my teaching career. I, I think I evolved it over the years, but it still was measuring all kinds of stuff that had nothing to do with musical production or musical skill. Um, my only advancement was toward the end of the career uh, after learning a lot more about assessment in my master's program at, at University of Northern Iowa is I would tell students and parents who cared. By the way, your grade has nothing to do with how well you're making music. If you want to talk about that, we could talk about that also. And I, and I did have a mechanism for that. That rings sort of true with me because even today, and I tell my students at Co, like you can probably tell I care a lot about assessment and I don't care about grades mm. uh and and the students you know in in my methods class when we talk about that and they kind of they look up like oh wait those are different oh yeah he does really put us through the ringer he wants to know what we know and what we don't know but he certainly doesn't get real hung up on this half point here translates into a b plus or a, or a whatever and that's just kind of how it's always been for me and i think as i talk to you about this I think the reason for that is just maybe a fundamental belief I have that if the only way I'm going to get you to do something is by holding a grade over your head, I don't feel like I'm probably doing that great of a job as a teacher. And that's probably not like a great way to look at things because I do know that there are people out there that really value the grade and the grade is an important thing to them. And, it, and it's meaningful to get 96% if that 96 was hard fought, well earned. But I figure if you do not want to sign up for my class, if you don't want to show up to jazz band and practice, then I'm doing something wrong. And I don't want to have the threat of you getting an F be the reason for that. And, and I think that's especially true maybe because I've always pretty much taught elective courses. If we get specific about the difference between formative assessment and summative assessment, um, if, if music is such an ongoing process and, and that's... I mean, the, the whole essence of this podcast is, is music can be a lifelong thing and there's a lot of different ways to look at it and it, it can be different for, for different people. Then the idea of a summative assessment seems really unfair in music making because there are so many factors that go into what a summative assessment might be in a group activity like choir. 
So then formative assessment, the idea of the ongoing process of figuring out what to do next is maybe the only kind of assessment that we should be concerned about. And that can take the form. It definitely doesn't take the form of the rehearsal habits rubric that I use to give everybody a rehearsal habit score or whether people showed up on time for all the concerts or whatnot. But it's more about the ballot results from probably a solo or an ensemble contest. Don't you think that's the closest we got to good, legit formative assessment in performing groups? Yeah, but I still don't think that does a great job. And we think back to Wendy Barden and and standards-based grading and this idea of of what what does the grade mean and that certain systems work well for high flyers, other systems don't. And yeah, if this is ongoing and the solo ensemble ballot or a large group ballot for establishing what a band or an orchestra or choir knows is still problematic for us as a teacher. And I also think difficult for me as a judge. And this is a conversation that I've had with my friend Matthew Armstrong quite a few times uh, at uh, Wayne State. And he thinks that it would be great if we could have some way of hearing where the group started. Mm. And that before I, as a judge, evaluate your choir, Alan, you send me a recording of your choir at the beginning of the year. And then that sort of takes into account the starting point, the raw materials, so to speak, if we break the students down in such crash terms to, you know, did did you start with better raw materials than the other person? Did that person start with great raw material and not really do much, but they ended up sounding okay and it wasn't through anything that they did as a teacher and really the students didn't learn anything. So there's that whole problem of these festivals and contests and using those as an assessment when in a lot of cases, we don't know where they started. And as we've talked about before, those are one-off things. You know, I'm one judge listening to your choir on one day. And are we going to put so much into that to help you decide whether or not you're a good teacher? So if the question we start with is, what determines a successful teacher? And today's question is, how does assessment play into that? What I'm hearing us say is, it's pretty problematic to use any kind of assessment to decide if I'm a quality teacher. I would say it's problematic to use one assessment and one assessment only and cherry pick one that maybe makes us look particularly good or our program look good. I think it's important to know the weaknesses that certain assessments are going to have. And I feel like the judging being assessed by another person. I feel like one thing the directors do a pretty good job of is saying, oh, it's all subjective. That's just that judge's opinion. And that's true. But I feel like we often miss out on the fact that that judge doesn't know where we started. That judge doesn't have all sorts of information that goes into determining how much we learned. That judge is assessing how we sound. That judge is assessing how the group sounds, not really what they learned. So I think that's an important distinction. Uh, what do you think? I agree with you. I, I 100% agree with you. I reached a point where I started to dial back a little bit on the 
the judge is subjective and it's just one person's opinion of 10 minutes of our music making career. Cause I felt like I was starting to, to diminish the experience as a whole. Well then like, why do we even go? Yeah. Why do we even have a judge fill out a ballot? So I, I switched to the approach of the, the judging is subjective and there are, there are great judges and there are judges who are just great, but by and large, it's experts who are listening to us play and they have the benefit of not knowing where we came from. And so if they apply a rubric, they'll have a relatively objective standard and we'll see how we stack up. And then I would accompany that with, but that doesn't determine our entire self-worth or how we feel about ourselves as a program because we do know where we came from. And so we can take that expert, really objective assessment and, and trust it but also put it in the context of everything else we've done all year long. So I, I don't know if that was effective or not, but but that's that's kind of where I ended up with toward the end. Yeah, for me, it's this differentiation between, and again, this is where I feel like the elementary general music teachers have it all over the secondary teachers in a lot of cases. They are way more interested when they are watching their class play on the wharf instruments or drum, how each individual student is doing in terms of are they learning the quarter notes that I wanted them to learn today. They're less concerned with how beautiful does this wharf music sound to me, these wharf instruments sound to me as they're all being played together. It, the focus is much more on student learning as opposed to the sound. And I think it's just the way the system is set up. We in middle school or high school are tasked to put these groups together and give concerts. And we know at some point we're going to have to give a concert and we want it to sound good. And we work backwards from that. And so I think as we go back to the main topic, which is how do I know if I'm being a successful music teacher or not? I think especially for our secondary people, getting a differentiation between what are the students learning, how much have they learned, what types of things are they learning, differentiation between that and then just the simple, how does the group sound? Are the parents happy? Do they get division one ratings? Do they get in the top five at whatever, you know, those types of things, or are there, do I have X number of students getting a division one rating at solo contest? Um, I think, if a teacher takes a deep dive on some of that, they can look at those results and, and think about what students have learned. But by and large, I think it's, it's dangerous to do that. So if you as a teacher feel that a successful teacher, a successful program run by a successful teacher is one where the students are learning things. And I know that sounds like, well, duh, we would want that. But if you really think that, and that's what a successful program is, then you need to be not like me, not like I was in 2006. Uh, and you need to be assessing what did the students know when I got them? And Glenn Nearman talked about this on one of our episodes. Uh, and then what, what did they leave me with? And if you're not doing that, if you're not having some type of way of assessing student learning, and I don't mean achievement necessarily, I mean what they have learned on your watch, and you say that it's important for me as a successful music teacher for my students to learn something, then there's a bad disconnect there. How do we do that though? Like what's, I remember experimenting with creating portfolios, like a 
in, in, in a performing group, it's usually grades five through 12, like a, a portfolio of here's, here's a solo or an ensemble they were a part of. Here's how that went for them. Here's a ballot for that. Here's how many scales they learned. That was something else that I did assessment wise is, is um, scales and tempo. I won't go into detail on that, but, and, and then kept track of that over time. It, it looked to be a very time consuming thing and we scrapped it because of the time consuming nature of it. How do we do that? How do you figure out how much a student has learned? This isn't a cop out. It's going to sound like a cop out, but like, I don't want to get in the weeds on that today. I think my answer to that is the first step is you have to decide you care about it. And I think every teacher is going to have a different set of priorities for what they want the students to learn. So for example, I might decide that, oh yeah, I haven't really been caring about what they learn. I've only been focused on what the group sounds like. I want to care about what they learn. And you know what's really important to me is that the students in my class really know a lot about how a major scale is put together. And that's super important to me. So I'm going to have a unit on major scale construction and so on. And maybe you, after listening to this episode, deciding, yeah, I'm really thinking more about what they sound like than how much they've learned. You might decide in my choir, the most important thing to me is that they know a lot about the composers. And so we're going to talk about the composers and then I'm going to have some way to assess whether or not they know what I want them to know about the composers. So I don't want to, I swear I'm not copping out on this, but I don't really want to say every middle school choir should do this type of assessment. I think, I think it's up to the teacher to decide if they have the flexibility to do this. And again, that they have decided, I want to be successful, successful music teachers teach students who learn stuff, that they decide, this is what I want them to learn. Do I sound like I'm totally trying to dodge your your question? Not at all, um, actually, because it makes me think, I'm still back to that basic question, how do we know if we're being a successful teacher? Um, so, so it might not be a cop out to say I might be a successful teacher if I have some kind of system or approach, or at least a mindset of, of wanting to know how much a student has learned and how much they have progressed. And I think that you can know that on an individual basis. I, I don't know how you display that to others to see, but I can still, if you name some of the students that I had in my career. I think I could tell you the the progress that they made or didn't make throughout the years um, without looking at contest ballots or, um, or, or or the grade book, just because we we get to know each of those students. Because I I'm with you. I, I like the idea of knowing how each student learns. For me, it was solo and ensemble. If you ask me what the most important part of the program was, it was the solo and ensemble um, process and and recital that went along with that. Um, I, a concert band was my favorite, but I felt like solo and ensemble preparation was the most important. What do you think if I say to you, yeah, Steve's argument, I get it, but I disagree. I come from a mindset that if I pick good music for my choir, I hand it out and we sound good on it, they're clearly learning. That's proof that they're learning. How do you respond to that? It's not proof that they're learning because we haven't talked about like the difficulty level or whether or not it was a stretch. You know, if you can sight read a grade two and a half choir piece, then 
I don't think that that demonstrates any learning. It demonstrates musicking. It demonstrates um, the the fact that you love doing it. I think that that can show some success, but I don't think it demonstrates learning progress. Okay. So what if we just take one step and say, uh, well, we do what my friend Matthew suggests. I play a recording for you mm -hmm. of the group trying to sight read it and they can't sing any of the rhythms. None, none of it, none of it sounds good. Clearly doesn't sound good. And they, and they aren't like faking it on purpose. Like they're trying and they can't sound good. And then you hear the performance and it sounds great. And I, as a teacher will say, my job here is done. My students have learned. I think you can make that case. I, but in a, an ensemble, a couple of those students were probably able to sight read it. And a couple of them were probably still struggling when you got to the very end product, right? Yeah. So is that okay? Well, <laughs> depends on your why. You know, if uh, thinking ahead to the episode we will have with Erin Holmes, who will talk about how her why is all about the process. You know, it whatever it sounds like at the end, the process is what matters. But if it also sounds good, then that will satisfy the people for whom the product is the why. If it does, if it sounds better at the end of the rehearsal cycle than it did at the at the beginning, uh, there has definitely been some success there. Okay, I'd like to hear from listeners who vehemently agree or disagree with any of the things that we said today. And also, this is fun thought experiment that Alan and I have, where we just sometimes throw things out there and disagree and say things just to see what happens. So I'm not even sure what I believe anymore. My head's going in in circles. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Like <laughs> I'm even thinking, how much does how much does it matter? How much does assessment matter? Um, but that's not the question. The question is, can we use assessment to to show if a teacher is successful or not? And Depending on the scenario, I think that you can make a case for that, but there's so much else. I, I would stand by what we talked about in our first or second editions of this rather than assessment. Because we here's something we haven't said. We haven't talked about instructors who will game the assessment process, who will set a low bar when it's time to measure so that everyone looks successful. Like that's a thing that happens. We haven't talked about like memorizing vocabulary terms and and having a written test over do you know the definitions of of, of allegro and mercato and what the difference is between mercato and accent. There's there's so many different avenues we can look at to 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 skin the assessment cat. I think for me, I am comfortable making this generalization. A successful teacher, a successful program, has thought about assessment and has a reason for what they are doing or not doing. And it's one thing I'll tell my music education students when we talk about fill in the blank idea. And I'll say, you don't have to do this, but if you are not doing it just because you're unaware or ignorant, that's not okay. But if you know about this, you've thought about it and made a decision, yep, I'm not gonna, not gonna do this that's different. Like you're okay. You're entitled to have opinions on things You're You're not entitled to be completely ignorant about everything. So I think I would, if a, if a director were to say to me, yes, I've thought about this and this and this, and this is why I don't do this type of assessment. And I do this. I, you know, I'd say, great. You've thought through this. That's your opinion. I don't agree. That's not how I run my program. 
but I can get on board with that versus someone who's like, yeah, I just kind of don't really, I don't know much about it. Don't want to know much about it. Never gave it any thought. I have a little bit more of an issue with that. Then it's just the inertia of whatever is happening. Yeah. I had a choir director once. Uh, I got an A minus on the report card and I went and I said, how come I got an A minus? And he said, because you sing very well. I said, how come I didn't get an A? He said, don't you think you could sing better? That was, I, I'd like to think you couldn't do that today. <laughs> Have that be the end of the conversation. But that literally was the end of that conversation. And now officially the end of this conversation. <laughs> but Steve, I wanted to ask you this. But one more, one uh, more. What, What's your favorite restaurant in Cedar Rapids? Uh, let's see. Do we have a Chili's? <laughs> I don't know, but you definitely have an Applebee's. Yeah, I think we have an Applebee's. No offense if Chili's or Applebee's are your favorites. You've been listening to Music Ed Insights. Please support this podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing it. Reach out to us on our Facebook page, Music Ed Insights, or via Twitter at Music Ed Insights. Our website is also the place to find program notes, links, and a one-page download of this episode's key takeaways. That's musicedinsights.com. This podcast is sponsored and supported by The Normal Design, helping normal companies and normal people create memorable, meaningful, and professional designs and branding. Learn more at thenormaldesign.com. Also, Winterset Websites, website design and maintenance, wintersetwebsites.com. Group Dynamic, a leading provider of youth leadership workshops. Allen works with dozens of schools each year to help develop their leaders. Learn more at groupdynamic.com slash youth hyphen leadership. Or you could email me at allen at groupdynamic.net. Also sponsored by the Co-College Music Education Program, they've got a website too. Just click on the link at our website or email me at shanley at coe.edu. New episodes generally drop every two weeks on Monday. Get current. Stay relevant. Music Ed Insights. Music Ed Insights.